Welcome to Robriety, the podcast about sobriety, mental health, and wellness for men, women, and the men and women who love it. Here are your hosts, Scott Graham and Derek Bowen. Scott. Derek. I wasn't even going to be our intro, but it can't be now. Hey, how's it going, man? <laughs> Good, man. How are you? <laughs> Not bad. Happy, uh, happy holidays. We're on the, the tail end of the holiday season here. Very much the tail end. How you been doing? Uh, I've been doing okay. I think it's been uh, super weird for everybody. Um, but, you know, we're making the best of it here. And I think all things considered, it was, uh, it was all right. So, yeah, missing, I, I, missing my family, missing my friends, all that stuff. But, yeah. Yeah. Very, uh, very isolating, I think, for a lot of people. And normally, um, you know, Christmas and, and the holidays can be a really, really hard time of year for people in general, particularly people who are estranged from from their families. Um, there's this pressure to to make the holidays, I think, this like uh, happy, joyful family time. And, and I know that's not not really uh, the the case for everyone. It was definitely not the case for a lot of people uh, this year. Uh, just due to the pandemic or, or for other reasons. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel that. I feel that every year, but this year, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So today we are joined, I figure we're, we're leading into uh, new year, new us. Uh, 2021 is a really, um, yeah, a lot of people said it going into the pandemic that like, this was our opportunity to, to not maybe go back to the way things were, but like create, what we wanted our lives to be um, uh, kind of like a hard reset that was going on in everyone's life. Um, so we have, uh, we're joined today by Lou Redmond. Lou is an author, meditation teacher, life coach, and inspirational pe- speaker. His honest and relatable approach offers hope and guidance to those on the path of meditation and self-development. Uh, Lou's meditations have been listened to over 700,000 times uh, on the Insight Timer app, and his course, Learn to Stop Caring What Others Think, is one of their most popular ever. Uh, Lou is also the founder of One Mindful Education, an organization that brings meditation, yoga, and mindfulness into schools uh, and corporations. Is that correct as, as well, Lou? Uh, that's correct, yeah. Uh, across the country. So uh, we're joined by Lou Redmond today. Lou, welcome. Uh, and I think this is a great opportunity for us to uh, to discuss how we can go into 2021 uh, and build a purposeful life. I'm excited, man. I love I love uh, getting a chance to connect with you all and your mission. And I love that we come together at a very interesting time. By the time we're recording, this is the time in between Christmas and New Year's. And that's kind of a sometimes disorienting time, sometimes awkward time. But obviously, a lot of us are thinking of this 2021, especially after this historic year we've had. So I'm excited to talk about this stuff. Historic is, is a word for it for sure. Uh, and like I said, we, we do appreciate you taking the time. Um, I think it's really important to kind of get your perspective because you are a guy who, um, just, you know, maybe it was, it was a gradual, uh, journey for you to get there, but, uh, you basically just one day realized this is not the life I want. I want something different. I want something more. I'm going to go after that instead. Um, and I think that's, that's a really important thing for people to hear. Um, even that, that it's possible to build a life of purpose. Um, so we'd love to, to learn more about how you have done that. 
Absolutely, man. Um, I got a lot to say about that. So you let me know where to start. <laughs> We're going to, we'll start, uh, we'll start here. First question we always ask our guests, who are you? Who is Lou Redmond? Okay. So I'm going to answer this with, uh, are you familiar with personality types and different studies of personality types? Yeah. Like the Briggs, and uh, Briggs Myers-Briggs and, yeah. and Enneagram. So like I'm familiar with, with both. And I think, um, I haven't found a description that fits, I think, a person better than the combination of both. So if some of you are going to be listening to this and have no idea what this means, and that's okay. Uh, but I am a, an ENFP and I am an Enneagram type three. And so at the essence of both of those, I am naturally by the Myers-Briggs an optimist. I naturally see possibilities. I'm very creative and um, I found to really allow those to be my gifts and learning about type has actually really allowed me to um, trust that and, and know that these are also things that come to me naturally. On the other side, I'm an Enneagram three, which also is supportive in this role, but it can also, what that means is I like to be uh, an achiever, the center of attention. Uh, I always care a lot about what other people think. And so I, podcasts are kind of fun for me because it's like, hey, it's a show about me. And so unashamed, unashamedly saying that, but I also am recognizing part of that has been a lot of my darkness over the years of feeling like I always have to live up to other people because I put my worth on what other people think of me rather than what I thought of myself. And so understanding my personality and just the natural inclination to who I am has really allowed me to have more compassion to myself and allowed me to see when I'm getting into those feelings of comparison or jealousy. And, and these are things we all deal with. I think um, in just studying personality type, I've found that I have a stronger inclination to them and, and allowing an authentic self to emerge um, from that, that is actually using my gifts. And so, um, at a less kind of cerebral, I have no idea what I was talking about, uh, description of, of myself, I would say based on what this is termed bro briety, I'm definitely, uh, was always a huge bro was in a frat in college, <laughs> like went through that whole bro lifestyle. And I'm, I'm looking forward to talk about some of the things that, that you talk about in, in this, um, podcast because I think learning how to be a man without that has has been something I'm still working with um, and you know struggling with in some ways. I don't. I, I think my close male friends when I started to make a change from not drinking and going into this new path, I lost all of my college friends and I have you know a few close friends from high school, but they're they're not the relations. We're not. We're in different places, and that's okay. And so, it's cultivating that new sense is is a big part of what I've been working on um, in the past few years and continue to work on. So, um, I don't even know if that explains any of me, but it might touch on a few things. Yeah, I think that absolutely explains uh, wow. a lot of what you've got going on, and that that actually uh, leads directly into our second question. Um, you talk about how you know you've kind of undergone a change in your bro-ness to uh, something different. What, what was your earliest idea of what being a man was? How did that lead you into your early path and your career? Um, was it something that you got from role models in your life, like, uh, like a relative or a father or brother or uncle? Um, what did that look like for you? So I was thinking about this question just before we got on here. And I, I th the, what was coming to me is 
it's not that I thought a man was this or that. It's like, it wasn't even an idea to think about it, if that makes sense. It's just like you kind of drift through life and you don't really, at least for me, wasn't really having like the conversation with myself or with others on like what, what is a man or even what I was seeing from the outside world, I think may have been some of the more societal common things that we see as being someone. And and this was just naturally me, right? I was good at sports. I was athletic. You want to be strong. You want to, to perform again, this is coming back to the Enneagram three, but, uh, I think that's a natural inclination towards the male figure and the, the sense of, I want to say the, the connection in doing that and being like a bro and like talking about the girls that you hooked up with. And there's like that, there's that communal connection in like the, the score. And I think there's some, some deeper, it's like an adolescent version of some more deeper, like psychological and archetypal um, motifs in there of like the, the search and the hunt and like the communalness of it. So um yeah, so not not much, I think, in, that I've learned about masculinity or had a, really that much of an idea of what a man was growing up until I kind of started this new path. Or just wasn't something that maybe you paid paid a lot of mind to, right? Like you were just that's like, it, yeah. there, there's these archetypes. Um, a, lot, a lot of what you were referring to uh, there, um, which is almost like something that I think a lot of us went through during our, our coming of age or our adolescence, but it's almost like this, this performative masculinity, right? Like we feel like mm-hmm. we have to um, follow, follow this script and care about these things and say these things and act this way in order to uh, just be perceived or, or accepted as a man. You um, have to, uh, you have to win. That is uh, the yeah. basis of everything masculine. You have to win. Even if you're not competitive, so I even don't, if you're I not competitive, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's wild, right? Scott, do you know? So, I'm I'm curious what your uh, enneagram type uh, type is. You know what? I've I've done it a few times, and I get a different answer every time. So I feel like I'm not being honest with myself when I when I answer the question. <laughs> That's always so, a tough one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's varying day day to day. It varies. I I, I know that. Uh, is it a four or five? I think I was in the in the Enneagram somewhere in between. And I don't remember what that means. So apologies. <laughs> but I remember, but I remember everybody going, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's you. <laughs> yeah, that like, makes sense. All right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so Lou, you have a really kind of fascinating story of just like you had you had your life, you had this kind of career path. It it seemed like you uh, knew where you were headed and what you wanted and where you were going to go. Um, and then you kind of, you ended up, um, just kind of like letting go of that and, and focusing instead on, on building a life, uh, what you term as a life of purpose. Um, are you kind of able to give us the, the cliffs notes on, on what that entire process looked like, um, and how you got from, from point A to, to point B? Sure, I'll give you. I'll, I'll try definitely to give you the cliff notes because I can. I can go long on this. Sum, story sum sometimes. up your entire life story <laughs> in like three lines. Yeah. Um. So, 
you had mentioned just kind of going the normal route. That was definitely me working at a company, doing the working for the weekends, drinking, partying on the weekends, starting to have enough of that, just seeing where that was going, got really into the raving scene and just really was just waking up just really just, I wasn't drinking during the week or partying during the week, but like every weekend it would just bring me back down to baseline or under baseline, let's say. And I had to work myself back up during the week. And I kind of got, had a, a rock bottom, or I guess I had a consistent amount of rock bottoms where I kind of would just felt fed up with this, or I knew something needed to change. I had at least that awareness at that time. And um, I ended up getting involved with this group that a friend had told me about, which was really the catalyst to my starting to change. And you said where I had decided to live with purpose. I remember I went to this first meeting and it was a group of people They were in their twenties and they were all just living life. That was very different from me. They, many of them had their own businesses. They were reading books. I was never someone who was reading books or like thought that it wasn't like a thing I was into. And so I just kind of, watched a bunch of Seinfeld after work and just repeated until I got to the weekend and I could party. I mean, that qualifies as an education too, right? (laughs) Like I I think we all got a lot of life lessons from Seinfeld. No disrespect to Seinfeld. I love, I love Seinfeld, but um, I wasn't really living with purpose. I was kind of just drifting through life. And it was through this group where it just opened my eyes and I was like, wow, I've been living like an idiot. And there's all these people in their 20s that just had this energy to them. And I remember leaving that meeting. It met on Friday at 6 p.m. So a time where I would normally be was in San Diego. So I'd be on the beach having like a margarita, you know, on a Friday for happy hour. I was at this meeting at 6 p.m. with a group of guys that were talking about things that mattered. And I remember leaving that meeting just completely shifted and feeling so insecure because I was like, holy crap, I don't even deserve to be at this table. Like I had nothing to offer to this group. I was like not in their, their, it felt like I was below them. And I know that that's not the right way to explain it, but I just felt very inferior. And afterwards I was reflecting and I just felt like, wow, I've been living like an idiot. And it was like a moment where I felt like life was giving me another chance and like was showing me what I could be or where I could go. And it was this very specific moment where I said, okay, like I am going to start living with purpose. And that's not even a word that was really in my vocabulary at the time, but it felt viscerally at the time. It's like, you've been drifting and now you're going to start to have more purpose and have more intention with the things that you're doing. And so luckily I reached out to the founder of that group and they allowed me to keep coming back. They allowed me to join the group. And it was just like, I'm a big believer that, that the, what we see as possible is what we can create for ourselves. And so by being around these people going there every week, talking about a range of different topics, not just like business stuff, but relationships, all this different stuff with a group of guys was transformative. And I got into personal development, started reading, started journaling, started a lot of these core habits that I still have. I was watching less TV. I was drinking less. I was waking up Saturday morning and I felt alive on life. I felt high on life. I felt ecstatic about life. And it was like, holy crap, I thought I needed 
to take a drug. And I thought I needed to party to feel this. Like I always know I wanted this feeling, but I was getting it through the wrong thing. And so once I got a taste of a natural high, I guess it's the addict nature in me. Like I just wanted more of that. And so I, kind of, I think a lot of people shift from being addicted to like substance to getting addicted to personal development. That's a great new addiction by, by all means. It's allegedly uh, healthier, right? So we can, we can justify it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so really the big shift, the bigger shift to really kind of cliff note this, um, part, but I got into meditation through just being a habit of other people. And it was through meditation that I wasn't looking for anything spiritual. I wasn't considering myself spiritual. I wasn't searching for God. I had grown up Catholic, but none of that was in my like view. I was just trying to be a better person, but it was through meditation that I had a really big spiritual awakening. And that's can take a whole nother story, uh, take us to a whole nother story. But it was through this awakening that I real, that I actually decided to completely stop drinking completely go sober. And it was this huge moment and it was just really beautiful moment. And it was really scary as a 25 year old to decide to completely stop drinking when that's all, you know, how do you, how do you, I was drinking less, but like, how do you go out and even like be around people and like, you know, have not have to hold a drink. Like there was, it was so scary, but I took it one day at a time and I kept having more of these really beautiful experiences through meditation. And it was through that, that again, a long story, but I ended up uh, quitting my job with no two week notice with no money saved, no real plan on what I was going to do. I just felt this love inside of me that I needed to like, it was now or never if I, I wouldn't feel like this for another 10 years. And I just had a moment where I jumped and it was through jumping into the universe that I've found how supported we are um, when we do that, when we step forward into the unknown. Um, and it was really scary. A lot of my friends and a lot of the people at work, they literally thought I went crazy. They, the day I quit my job, they sent a police uh, to my home because they thought that my resignation letter was a suicide note. And so oh, it, wow. it didn't make sense to anyone I knew. And so if you're thinking about making a change and you're like nervous about what other people are thinking, know that a lot of times when we're making these different changes and we have that the people aren't going to understand and that's, that's part of it. And so it was really scary, a really crazy time. It's been six years now. This is the anniversary because it happened actually January 6, 2015. So I'm coming up on my six year anniversary of, of my quitting and leaving and entering this job journey. And it's been a uh, one hell of a ride. And so that's a, that's a long story um, that I didn't really get into. Uh, and so I'll let you ask any questions from that or go on because I can, I can, it's a long story. <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, I watched, uh, I watched that video actually, where you talked about that, where you talked about your, your coworkers sending a, sending the cops over to your house to make sure you're okay. And it's pretty wild to, to think that, you know, quitting a job seems suicidal to people who don't really understand uh, what what people are are doing when they when they talk about you know living with purpose or finding a purpose or whatever um yeah that that one that really struck me when i when i watched your video that was uh that was pretty wild but um i know in your blog too you talk about the difference between um living with purpose and finding a purpose um, what is, what does that mean? What does that look like for you? Because I have a hard time with seeing those things as separate things. Do you know what I mean? So I think living with purpose is something where you 
can always be doing. And by being on that path that eventually like those that you are doing it, you're living your purpose. Like it's kind of like paradoxical in a sense, because it's, I think when we think about finding your purpose, we're trying to find one thing that we're meant to do with our life. And, you know, just cause this is in my mind, I'm thinking about, um, Liz Gilbert, the writer, um, and she, I'm reading big magic right now. I love books on creativity. And she talks about how she made a decision that she was going to be a writer and she was intentional about it. And she showed up each day. And even though that wasn't supporting her, even though that wasn't what she wanted to, to or even though it wasn't like the only thing she was doing, you know, working other jobs were supporting that, that purpose. And so that is a specific thing, but let's say you don't know what that specific thing is just starting to do this work, right? Starting to listen to podcasts, starting to read books, starting to journal, starting to do whatever it is, is moving you on that path because it's like wanting to get to the flower, the blossoming without planting a seed and growing it. And so we think that we can just get, oh, I'm just going to find my flower and then that's it. When we don't realize that the, the flower is perfect at each stage. And so like wherever we're at, whether we're moving through the muck or whether we're starting to come up out of ground, all of those things, there's an essence to us. And so like, I like to look at like life purpose as it's not, again, something we do, but it's like an energy that we align with that, that it might involve us doing many different things. For me, I feel like if I had a, if I had to sum up that word for me, it is inspire. And so you can't be a professional inspirer, right? That's not like a thing specifically, but there's many mediums that you can inspire people. You can do it through what has been a big part of me is meditations. You can do it through public speaking, you could do it through writing. And so, so that energy um, has allowed me to do specific things. And so I also like to, 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 to change the differences in, finding your purpose and sharing your gifts. I think there's like, I think we think that they're the same thing, but the gifts are are going to come from the journey of living purposely. And I, and Joseph Campbell would always talk about, like, I think what we're looking for is not, we're looking for the feeling of being alive. And as long as you have that essence of feeling alive and connected to what you're doing to the trajectory that you're on, then that's what matters because there's always going to be another goal. There's always going to hit that and there's going to be the next thing. And that's the great, beautiful evolution process. But it comes back to like, well, how can I real? how can I embrace that right here now? Before I have the money coming in, before I know what that thing is, how can I find a sense of connection and aliveness and love where I'm at right now? And I think, so it's always trying to shift that back towards ourselves um, in the moment, in the day, rather than needing to get somewhere. And this kind of goes into what we're talking about for 2021, right? Having these goals or resolutions. It's like, let's flip that not need to get things from the outside and instead focus on right here and now, and then expand that and grow that, uh, outwards. So, uh, I'm somewhat familiar with Joseph Campbell just through specifically the hero's journey, um, and the, the stages of the hero's journey. And I always, I, I 
get a tremendous amount of pleasure out of absolutely picking apart books and films and stuff and how they follow the hero's journey, specifically things like Star Wars and, uh, and stuff like that. Right. So do you, when you talk about Joseph Campbell, how do you relate something like his interpretation of the hero's journey to what you're doing? Is there a direct connection or is it just something that inspires you? Um, 100% a direct connection. Um, The moment that I just told you, like of the story that I kind of summed up, I I didn't talk much about the quitting the job part about getting into Junto. Like this is like, if you're familiar with the arc of the hero's journey, this is like pre answering the call. And I felt like, you know, starting to move on this path, right? Like starts here, starting to get on this journey of being in that group, starting to learn, starting to grow. And then all of a sudden there was a call to adventure. For me, it was, you should quit your job. Huh. And there's a refusal of the call. And I literally refused it the first time it came. I went to work that one day and I saw things differently. And I was like, you know what? I can't be here. So it was a second call, right? And I had uh, the next morning, I at 3 a.m., they call it in the hero's journey, right? Like a mentor, you have someone that kind of supports you to get you through that, that break. And I had someone, again, all this is super pretty synchronistic, but I had woke up in the morning and I was a friend who messaged me just saying how he had understood what I was going through. Cause no one understood what I was, I was going through something that I didn't understand and I had no one to relate it to. So I reached out to someone who I thought had some semblance. He had made a big change in his life. And so the things that I was contemplating of quitting my job, I felt like he could relate. And so he became that mentor figure that allowed me to step and jump over into the unknown. And so I jumped and in that process, uh, has been an incredible amount of demons that I've had to face a lot of darkness and then also more mentors and figures coming into my life to support me on this path. And I've felt to each step, each extent, I, I really feel like I've completed a hero's journey cycle in the sense of finding gifts and sharing it with the community and, and, and giving it uh, unto other people but from that space, I've like, I've seen my life in it. And so I always, whenever I'm having a conversation around life purpose or finding your gifts, I always come back to Joseph Campbell because I've like all those movies, you know, watching Star Wars, watching the matrix. It's like, holy crap. Like I've experienced that in my own way. And so when I viscerally, and that's why it's, you know, we've, we've done the study about studied about it. Like those movies speak to our subconscious. It speaks to this great, this great um, myth that we are all, it is our life. And that's what Joseph Campbell would always say. This is not, you know, this is, this is you and your goal is to find to go on your path, right. And to follow your bliss, as he would say. And so to a T, to a T, I've, I see my whole arc, my whole arc in, in, and actually coming to the sense in completing a hero's journey, um, through it. Yeah. I would urge anybody listening to this that isn't familiar with Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey to just Google it, go look it up, um, read the book and, uh, it's fantastic. The, the way it relates to just life in general is pretty eye-opening and uh, very, very helpful. Uh, it has been incredibly Finding helpful Joe. for me. Finding Joe is a great documentary to like start off with. And I think it's free on YouTube right now. I think so. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. That's awesome. I got my I got my Star Wars question. And I'm I saw I saw Scott's I can, eyes light up. Yeah, I, I, can, <laughs> I can go now. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lou, I love the way you frame that because I think for a lot of people, they have this belief that like 
life is something that happens to you and finding your life's purpose. That's something that happens to you. And it's like, a, it's a, it's a check. It's a checkbox, right? Like you, you find the thing you were meant to do and everything else will, will fall into place. Um, and, uh, I, I think when a lot of people have, have that kind of approach to it, they have a tendency to kind of set, set them up for failure because they're always, um, when you talk to a lot of people about finding their purpose, they're just on the search for that, that one thing that will make sense to them. Um, whereas you describe it more as, as a process, like living, building a purposeful life, living purposefully, putting the work in that you need to, uh, in order to achieve that goal. So, um, I, th- I think that's like a really helpful reframing for people. My question here is, is more, um, how, how has living purposefully contributed to your life, uh, over, over the past six years? Like, how do you think your life has changed since 2015, uh, for, for better or for worse? I think in a nutshell, it saved my life in many, in, in every emotional, spiritual, relational way. I think it's and in, in the in in Buddhist traditions, they always would talk about like before a meditation, if you go into the meditation hall or they ask you to to devote your practice to the benefit of all beings. And the way that I see that is by us doing the work to awaken, to grow, to just come into more of who we are, that that energy is, it's good. It doesn't just, doesn't just benefit us. It benefits every person that we come across. So there is not even like, I can't even think of explaining a way that my life hasn't positively and radically changed from making that decision which would have been about seven years ago of, of I'm going to start living purposefully because um, you put yourself as we'll use Joseph Campbell again, right? You start, you do that and you put yourself on a path that's been waiting for you that it's, it's there for you all along. Right. And then, and that path is not just the benefit of you, but, but I believe that all of us growing and evolving is for the benefit of humanity. And so our life I'm a big believer in the ripple, like the ripple effect that happens when we start to grow and who sees us doing and, and just what this podcast, what this offers to someone when they listen to it and what you guys are doing and just with the energy that you're bringing to your life, right? We all were having positive impact. Derek, I know, you know, you're a, you're a dad. And so I have no doubt that you changing is going to have a radical impact on your son just by the person that you've become, not by anything you do. Sure, your actions might be different, but because of who you've become, you're going to change that relationship. And so there's nothing but beauty that comes from from making that shift and, and moving out. I think the biggest thing that most people move out of, which is moving from a victim mindset to... I'm going to start to, to make, have more purpose or like I can, I can make things happen. And so there's a stages that we go through, but I think often that is the big shift to moving from, Oh, 20, you know, I, I can't do anything about 2020 sucked and I, this happened and this happened and you know what, it, it, everything sucks, you know, screw the president, you know, and we just blame things for ourselves. And it's not to say we shouldn't want change and positive change in our culture and society, but we have to, 
to come back to taking responsibility. And I think if you if you're going to ask the next question, well, how, what's the first step? Is to just take responsibility for everything for your life in general and say, okay, um, I'm going to take responsibility. And then you take the power back rather than waiting around for some magical fairy to, to give you the winning lottery numbers or, or whatever. <laughs> I, I kind of want that fairy to give me the winning lottery. Numbers. I that want that fairy cool, right? too, but we, but we don't wait. We don't need to <laughs> go wait for it. You make your own fairy. Make your own lottery. Numbers. Make your own fairy. I like yeah, that. Yeah, just create create a lottery. <laughs> That's a t-shirt. That's a Brobriety t-shirt. Uh-huh. Make your own fairy. Um, so you talked about Derek being a dad. I'm also a dad. Uh, shout out to all the dads out there trying to live a better life and show their kids that it is possible. Um, I always feel pressure, and I'm sure Derek feels the same way, um, as like the provider sort of archetype that men it's 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 just something that's we're taught from a young age that men are the providers and they go out and it's like a caveman mentality um do you do you think that men have a harder time sort of letting that go and living a life of purpose um and is there anything we can do to try to change men's minds about that hmm well, I would question why you would want those two things to be different. That's a great point. That's a great point. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when I hear that of, of if, 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 again, it's all on our belief. So if your belief that it's, I can either, I have to, I can either be a provider and have something maybe secure in like a job, if that's what you're referencing to, or I can live my purpose. And if that's the, the uh, it's not the duality if that's the dichotomy that you're living with then um yeah of course it's going to be incredibly challenging because you're gonna you're gonna be sabotaging one or the other and so i i would ask you and i would challenge anyone who has that maybe that same thought of of I, I, it doesn't have to look like just me just leaving a job, right? It doesn't have to be like so radical. I, I didn't have kids. I was 25. Yeah, I didn't have any money saved, but you know, if I knew things would hit this hit the fan, I did how fortunate that I had parents that I could lean on if I needed to. I had so I, I have privilege in that s in that sense 100, and I also didn't have the responsibilities that a father has. So I have a lot of compassion when I think about this conversation around people that have big responsibilities like a child. And I would just encourage that it's about realizing that, that, that if there's the belief there that those two can be and are meant to be together, that, that, that providing, you know, that living with purpose and providing is like, that's the beautiful expression of, of who you are. And so it's how do we bring those two together? And I think it starts with the first it starts with with living with purpose and whatever you're doing. For me, when I was still at my job, I didn't even have to change things. I I was just changing who I was and I was showing up to my job so radically different. Like I was supporting other people. I was talking about books to other people. I was just, I was doing these things in my company that was really different where I, I had, 
I, I like from a book I was reading, I asked everyone in my company to lunch and that got me a lunch with the CEO. And that, so I had gotten a promotion. Like I was doing really well at my job. I had actually, right before I quit, I got like the best employee award for the year. And that's part of why people thought I was so crazy. Cause it's like, Louis loves it here. And then he just, he just left. And How could so, you leave that behind? Yeah. So um, I, yeah, I really would, would, would challenge anyone, not just you, Scott, anyone to, to see it as just an unfolding of right now that of, of you are, as you start living it, that it's just going to unfold no matter, again, no matter what you're doing, that you can bring that energy to what you're doing. And then at some point, understanding that when that call Right. And then you talk about finding your purpose, like it's finding, I like to look at it more of like vocation, which vocation really means calling. So there's also, there's a receptivity to it. And we put ourselves open to receive that call by starting to like do the work, whatever that work is for us. And, and understanding there's a question that Seth Godin, who's someone I, I follow um, religiously and have listened to everything probably he's ever put out into the world or read a lot of his things he's put out into the world. And I love this reframe of a question that he's asked. Cause a lot of people would ask like, what, what would you do if you knew that you couldn't fail? And he's like, that's a terrible question because you're going to fail. And so the question is to flip it on your head and say, what would you do if you knew you would fail? And I like that because it puts us to like, what is worth my time regardless like what is going to be, what would I look back on and say, hell yeah, I'm so glad I did that. And understanding that the failure is just a step in the path and you continue on it to the next thing. And that doesn't mean, you know, having to leave your job. That could mean in my spare time, I have a podcast like you guys are doing and I'm growing this and I'm, and I'm doing that. And, and I have a vision and I'm still going to work on it. And slowly, you know, it was a gradual transformation for me, but it wasn't until 2019 that I first was able to actually support myself. So it took four years to figure it out and it's still a figuring out process. And so it's, it's, so it didn't just happen like right away where I quit and, and I was like, okay, I made it. Um, and so I had to figure it out. I had to work other odd jobs and I had to make it work. I never went back to a company. I was able to, I was very fortunate in the things that came into my life to support me. Part of why I believe that when you follow it, you'll be supported. But um, so that's my, that's my challenge to you, Scott. Challenge accepted. <laughs> um, I love that. Like the the thing about just kind of accepting um, failure as as a byproduct of of life, right? Like I think um, that that is ultimately something that that holds a lot of people uh, back from from kind of taking these leaps or or making uh, making these changes in their lives is that they are terrified to fail. Um, in, in that note, kind of how, how did you just, how did you reach a point where you were like, I might fail at this. I might totally like shit the bed and embarrass myself. And a, that is okay. Um, and how you talk a lot about how those are the moments that, that are kind of most responsible for our growth as people, right? Like when you put yourself in these positions where you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, I, I could definitely fail as a result of this. Um, that's kind of what, what pushes us farther. So what's, what advice do you have for, for people to maybe overcome or, or manage their fear of failure? I would separate failure and fear and learn to dance with fear 
that the fear is a good thing, that the fear is what grows us, that stress is how we grow our muscles and fear is how we grow our emotional muscles. And I am a big believer that what we're afraid of and what excites us is a good step forward. And the fear is because if we didn't have the fear, everyone would be doing it. And that's not to say everyone shouldn't be doing it, but there has to be, if we take it back to more archetypal identity, is there has to be an initiation. And it's the initiation how we grow. And so the fear is what is going to initiate us. And by finding the courage to step forth in spite of the fear, um, that is like, we can only meet God halfway or God meets us halfway. Or I read the other day, it's like you take one step forward and God will take 10 steps towards you. And so we have to understand that it's not just taking forward, stepping up, step forward in something that's easy. It's that the thing that is afraid that is, is showing it's, it's, it's an act of, of embodiment of showing to the universe, to God, to yourself, whatever your belief system is showing to yourself that, yes, I do, uh, I'm willing to face fear. And so the failure comes, I, I think of it as separate. And for me, I've, I've not had a big fear of failure. I think I burned boats and bridges. And sometimes that actually helps to be like, it's like do or don't like there was really, <laughs> there's it was no turning very, back at that. There was point, really right? no turning <laughs> back. So it was just kind of like that, that helps. I'm not suggesting that for everyone. And again, it comes back to the question of, it seems cliche and, and maybe I'm just, it's just cliche because it's like a thing that I, I hear all the time, but it's that, that the failure is not doing it, right? The failure is not even trying and staying safe, right? That's to me that that's what failure is. And so like, and, and often when the funny thing is so many people I work, cause I work one-on-one as a coach with a lot of people and, and they'll be facing this. They want to quit their job and they're like really afraid. And it's I always ask, okay, so what happens when you quit your job and it doesn't work? Well, it doesn't work out. Okay. Well then, uh, you know, I, I'll probably have to get another job. Okay. Okay, great. So, you know, you're afraid to leave a job where the worst case scenario is where you're exactly where you are now. So you're in a sense living your worst case scenario because you'll be back exactly where you're at. You'll be at another job doing the thing. And obviously you'll deal with all the self-shaming of I didn't make it or whatever, but that's, you know, I guarantee when you take that step forward that those are things that you learn to, to manage uh, in the process. And so really learning a new relationship and dancing with fear is, is a big part of, of, I think this path and whatever you're doing, whether, whatever it's putting yourself out there, whatever you're blank, staring at a blank page, you know, there's a lot of things that come up and learning to dance with that resistance is, is, is part of it. So, um, you seem like you've got a lot figured out, like just listening to you talk, I get like a lot of confidence from you. Um, and, and I love the things that you say, but I know that for me, uh, imposter syndrome is a huge thing in kind of everything I do in my life, whether it's my job where I'm fairly successful or, uh, my hobbies where I also do okay, where they've actually turned into like money-making hobbies, which is kind of annoying. I never wanted them to get to that point, but, um, because then they just end up feeling like a job. I think some of you will be familiar with that feeling, but I always feel like I'm not 
as good at any of them as other people think that I am. And, you know, you can call it imposter syndrome or you can call it whatever. Um, but do you, um, do you still struggle with imposter syndrome and it, how do you, how do you grapple with that when you're doing stuff like one-on-one coaching? Um, cause imposter syndrome can, for me anyways, it can really like beat me down and make me not want to share. Yeah. Welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've done a lot of, uh, I have a, one of my courses, I have a day on, on imposter syndrome. It's, it's something that is near and dear to my heart. It's something that I've seen literally everyone struggling with. And so it's uh, universal and it's welcomed and it's similar to fear. It's like, hell yes, embracing the imposter. And I'll go back to Seth Godin. I love something he says, um, everyone is an imposter. Great. Like there's a good chance that there's, you're not the most qualified in the world to be doing the thing that you're doing. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing it, right? That doesn't mean that you don't have the, the love and the care. And I always talk about with imposter syndrome, the fact that you feel imposter syndrome is because you actually care because you actually want to do a good job. Actual imposters, con men, they don't care. They know they're trying to swindle. They know they're trying to put on a front and that's part of their uh, sociopathicness or whatever that's whatever the word you want to say it. <laughs> and so the fact that um, we feel imposter syndrome is another sign that we're doing something on our edge. And I think this journey is about living on our edge. And uh, I f- if you ask me if I feel it all the time um, or if I still feel it, I do, but I've really gotten a better narrative around it through a lot of stuff that I've read with Seth Godin, um, through a lot of the, the, the study of creativity. Like there's a few books, The War of Art, um, Big Magic that I'm just reading, uh, Seth's new book, The Practice, and just learning stories of all of these other musicians that you hear about. You, Adele, after her breakthrough first album, she thought it was just a fluke. Like, and she was like so surprised at its success and she didn't know she felt like an imposter. She's like, Oh my gosh, everyone's going to find out that this, that I, that I don't deserve this. And so like, when we think of people at the highest levels of success, that material our society can all agree upon, right. Having a, a, you know, a huge album, let's say out in the world. And even those people feel imposter syndrome. Well, then it's like, okay, I'm not any different from that. And so I think we put, and this is another thing in wanting to like move into different areas is we put other people on a pedestal. We put people that are more successful or have something that we want, like they're up here and like we're down here. And I think psychologically that takes us away from, from believing that we could have that too. And, and so seeing really great people that have created things um, in the world or have done things, feel it too, is, is, um, is helpful for us to remember that they're like us. The other note, I love Amanda Palmer. Um, she has this book called The Art of Asking, and she writes about the imposter syndrome because it's like 
we feel like it's this energy of like a judge that's like somewhere in the ether. Like that's like the feeling of like, I'm an imposter. Like there's going to, and she talks about it. Like there's going to be someone who knocks at our door at night, comes in and tells us that we're guilty of completely making it up and that we have no idea what we're doing and that they're going to revoke all of our ability to, to be able to do that thing. I'm butchering the, the, the way that she explains it, but it, it's just, we think there's like this police force out there waiting to get us when in reality, it's, it's just the demons in our own mind. And especially if we're thinking about anything that's creative, the definition of creativity is to make it up. And so of course, when we're making it up, we don't know how that's going to be received. And so the practice is really just focusing on the process, focusing on, 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 I can show up each day and put in the work I can show up each day and put in the work and understanding that the imposter syndrome, like fear, is just another friend that I have to ride with in the car. And when we see it as a friend, we can start to change how we approach it. We can start to not being so crippling where we don't do the work that we do. We don't put ourselves out there. And so I think it comes, I definitely still feel it. I, I, I think I'm in a position I, I know that it can, it, again, it, the posture will continue to come up and as you grow in different ways in different places. And so um, I, but I've learned to really embrace it as like a friend of like, Oh, it's, it's, it, to me, it's like, Oh, that's a good sign. The fact that I'm feeling a little imposter here means that I'm kind of dancing on an edge and I don't know if it's going to work and I don't know what people are going to think. And so it's a, it's a journey. We were, uh, we were talking about that specifically um, in regards to parenting, I think, in our last episode with, uh, with Alex Kaplan. But it was, it was how we're all operating under this assumption that we have to pretend that we know what we're doing all the time. Like, we, we have to always be um, putting forth this persona that, like, yeah, I've got, I've got it all figured out. We're experts. We know what we're doing. Like, um, and around parenting for sure. But I think there's also a, a power in vulnerability, um, whether it's, it's on your career path or whether it's in your hobbies or, or just admitting that like, uh, we, we don't have a fit. Like we're, we're working. It's a process. We we're figuring it out as we go. But like, Scott, I don't, I don't think anyone would be surprised to learn that you and I are not the foremost, uh, experts on men's health podcasting. <laughs> yeah, I I think people might be shocked about that, Derek. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> let me let me are... tell you the uh, the YouTube comments section is generally the fuel for my imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you are for a certain person, like you are that podcast for this one person, this two people, this hundred people, this thousand people. It's like I like to use the analogy of 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 if you can hear the lyrics of a song, if it's spoken in country music, right, that's going to turn some people off. If it's spoken in rap music, that's going to turn some people off. It's spoken in, but then for some people, if it's spoken in country music, that's they're going to hear that more. It's spoken in rap music, they're going to hear that more, depending. And so, like, understanding that people are meant that you can serve, like, we only have to be a little further on the path, right? That we don't have to to have it all figured out. And you're very generous in thinking that I'll have it all figured out. If you, I think part of uh, the things that I, sh I try and actually in most of the things I do, whether it's classes or courses that I, I create and teach, I, I share a lot about my own struggles and my own imposter syndrome. Like I've, 
I, I used to be, and I'm still afraid of it, but I used to be so cripplingly afraid of public speaking and especially doing things around this work that I do now around like meditation and talking about inspirational topics. And there was one time where I had, um, I was running a group in town and I was giving a talk and people would come like each, every other week. And I started to create this little community. And I, and one day there was people that came that I was so afraid of what they thought, because if they found out that I like, I had to feel like I had to live up to these two people that came this one day because they, they, in my mind, like it was a now or never situation, right? Like, like I needed to prove who I was and I was who I said I was. And as I was speaking, I started speaking and I literally lost control of like what I was saying. And cause I started like judging my speaking as I was saying it. And I, my whole body went to like this disassociative, this disassociative state. I started sweating and I literally, my worst nightmare came true. It was like, I was having a panic attack in front of a group of people and I had to stop and I had to excuse myself. And while that situation was completely mortifying and like, whole, I, I literally thought like the next day, I was like, oh my gosh, like I didn't think I was done, but it shook me. It was like, it shook the ground that I was standing on. And oh, two weeks later, one of those people, she came back and I learned a lot of lessons. I learned a lot of my preparation and I learned that people just don't care that much and they don't realize what's happening, right? They, they don't even realize that it was like a big thing. Like, oh, Lou just had to excuse himself when to me, it's like, you know, Armageddon like happening. And so um, understanding that people aren't thinking about us as much as they, we think we're thinking about, they're thinking about us, right? They got their own stuff going on and their own dramas. And maybe they'll, you know, judge for a second if they have a, you know, YouTube is a great place for that. Um, but they'll probably be back off on their, their life pretty, pretty shortly after that. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I've gotten a bunch of messages about this podcast since we started it from people that I haven't talked to in years uh, telling me how much it's helped them and they love it. And it's just been, it's been wild to me to reconnect with these people from like my high school days that I didn't even know, um, remembered that I existed, sure. you know? And, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a ride this, uh, this little podcast so far. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. So, and who knows, because of that, those people might not have ever been exposed to things like this. And like, you don't know the ripple effect that 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 caused. And so like, yes, you're not who, whatever that top podcast might be, but you, you, it's not about that. There's an article um, by Kevin Cowley called A Thousand True Fans. It's like, we, we don't need a, to, to serve millions of people. Like we just need to find a group, a, a core group of people that resonates with how we show up and, um, trust that to survive as a creator, let's say, like he argues that it all it takes is a thousand true fans. And so, but, but starting right, serving the five, the 10, the hundred that you start to cultivate and understanding that that energy is just going to continue to grow. The minimum, uh, Seth Godin minimum viable audience thing too, right? Like That's it. Yeah. Yep. Just, you know, find, find your core, <laughs> core people that you need the, your message to resonate with and just make sure you're, you're creating stuff for them. And, and that's basically show up authentically and it'll, it'll take care of itself from there. That's it. Um, cool. On that note, let's say I'm a guy I've spent my entire life believing that like life is something that happens to me. I have a job that I'm not like 
not thrilled on, but it pays the bill, takes care of, of me and my wife and my kids. I've decided that 2021 is the year that I want to start living purposefully. What do I do? First thing is to give yourself some credit for making that decision and shifting from life is happening to me to I'm going to take responsibility. Um, part of me wants to say, look for what's coming next <laughs> and see what opens up for you. Um, I mean, there's millions, like there's millions of books, places to go for inspiration, for encouragement. I think the, the easiest way, something we've already said is to follow your excitement and your fears and whatever that means for you, whatever it is that you, what living purposefully is for you, whether that is wanting to do something, because that doesn't necessarily mean having to like leave your job or find something new creative to do. That could just be, I want to be a better person in this world. And so defining what is living your purpose, um, what does that look like for you, right? Setting a, maybe envisioning at the end of 2021, who is, who are you? If you've completed, if you are living your purpose, right? How are you showing up? What is the energy that you're bringing into this world? Yeah, I think it's following, following the things that are afraid, make you fear, fearful and excited. Again, I can give you lots of books. I can give you places to look, but I think those are the tactics and tools and those you'll find on your own. And then trusting in just the unfolding and realizing that what you seek, you already have. And so asking, what is it that I want to, to, to be purposeful for? Oh, I want to have more love in my relationship. I want to have more uh, connection. I want to have that thing that I'm doing. And it's like, how do you bring in that energy of what you're hoping to receive? How do you realize that that chemically you already all have it right now, that that is chemically in your body. Everything that you think that the future is going to bring is chemically in you right now. And so embracing and trying to find ways to cultivate that in your day to day and understanding what is a good day for you screw the year, right? Because if you can learn what a good day is for you, then you can have another good day and maybe you have a good week, maybe you have a good month and then maybe you have a good year. And in that process, then yeah, maybe there's some tough times in that, but really bringing it back to the micro and, and life's not about years. Life's about really embracing um, our day to day and finding a routine, whether it's a morning routine, whether it's journaling, whether it's meditation, something that sets you up. What is the thing that you like to do for exercise? Like what is a good day for you? What do you want that day to look like? And I would say starting to reorient that yourself around that. I love that, man. That's such an important message. It's almost like uh, microdosing purpose, right? Like, don't <laughs> don't worry about what the year is going to look like. Uh, just break it down into those. But then you'll procrastinate. It's like, oh, I yeah. got to find something. It's like, no, tomorrow, what am I doing? Oh, I have that thing. Okay, how do I show up to that that engagement? How do I, what do I want to do tomorrow? Okay, I'll start reading that book in the morning, right? And like, start, it's just day by day. Right. I'm so Bit guilty of that. Like every year I set these stupid lofty goals for myself <laughs> that I'm like, this is what I want to accomplish. And then every, uh, you know, December 29th, December 30th, the following year without fail, I look back and I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> I, I failed at like 90% of those. Yeah. I think, I, mean, I, I think this year had failure sort of pre-built into baked it. In, yeah. Right? That's, so, that's fine. So yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. accepting that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I also, there's like the vision of letting go of it being planned, like having a vision for what that looks like. Um, but I, I was reading some, some David White poetry um, just before bed. And there's this one line that I, I keep coming back to is that the life you can plan is too small for you. Meaning that our limited yeah. minds don't know what's best for us that like there's something so much greater when we let go of needing to have it figured out, let go of needing to figure it out. And again, coming back into the micro of, of I'm just going to go crush this day and be my best person today. And I'll let life unfold from, from there. And there's going to be so much, something so much greater than if I were to got like a thing and wrote down, this is what I want to happen. And so there's a mix. It's like, yes, we should do that, have an idea, but at all the same time, letting that go and not being stuck on that because then we, we limit our perception. We talk a lot about masculinity on this podcast and it's something that uh, I struggle with. And I think Derek also struggles with, and most men struggle with masculinity and um, the role that it plays in our lives. And, um, how how has masculinity being a man um male culture uh shown up in your life in sort of pre bro enlightenment and post bro enlightenment um ha has it changed um or is it something that you even think about i'm curious can i ask how you struggle with masculinity so okay so for me um, I have this ideal in my head of what a man is about showing emotion, um, about the things I talk about with other men, uh, about not calling things out when, uh, I see toxic behavior from other men. Those are the things I struggle with. And I feel like I'm getting better at it, but you know, it's something that is part of the way I was brought up. Uh, that's what I struggle with, with, with masculinity. I think there is aspects of masculinity that are totally fine. Like we're not crapping on being a man, like it is what it is. But, uh, at, at the same time, masculinity for me is something that I'm trying to like find a new definition of essentially. Sure. I just actually started working with a, a new coach um, as me being the, the coachee and he, my coach, and he's actually, a, he's a men's coach. And so like, that's a lot of his um, he's really deep into that work. Something that I haven't been as deep in um, by any means within maybe the past year, I just started reading more of like the men's books, like iron John and King warrior, magician lover and, and things like those. But he just wrote an article talking about how this, I think what, and I so agree with it of, this idea of toxic masculinity that has become so popularized, he would argue that, there, that, that we need to let go of that word because there is no toxic masculinity, that it is boys that never became men and people that have made that initiation into manhood. And so I think as men, we have a lot of times have kind of been shamed into being male in the past five or 10 or whatever years. And so I think there's a releasing of this societal shame around that. Um, 
that I think is a big first step and and understanding that it's and having more compassion when we see what we might have dubbed toxic masculinity, um, seeing it more as boyhood. And for me personally, I think it's allowed me to open up to what it actually is. And like the, again, like I didn't have much reference. It wasn't even something I was thinking about before. I think I just fell into like the bro culture and that just naturally became like what a a guy was. And I think post I'm still learning to reconfigure male relationships in my life. I'd say I have, um, I don't have that bond like I had with people in college, right? I don't have those close male friends like that in that same way. And that's okay. And I think there's different times for that or different times for that group. Um, and so what's changed is just the awareness. It's just like, I, like, I think people that are in the quote unquote childhood masculinity, like they don't, aren't even aware that they might be in it. It's just like a boys are being boys and they're playing and that's you're just doing it. Right. They don't, they don't know that they're being adolescent. They just, that's what they're doing. And so I think just the awareness of the shift that take place that took place was the biggest thing. And I, I would like, I, I want to keep like questioning, like, I'm just curious how it keeps coming up for you, Scott, in like, in having like a tough conversation. Do you have, do you have friends that you would consider like still in like an adolescent state that like, and you don't know how to engage with them? Is that what I'm getting from it? Yeah, essentially. So I, I work in a trade. That's my day-to-day environment, right? So very masculine, very like everything you'd think about the typical blue collar man, sure. a performative right? masculinity, very, right? like very that. performative. They all have big trucks and they all, you know, it's, it's <laughs> every, everything that you, you, the stereotypes around it. I live and breathe every single yeah. one every day okay. with what I'm surrounded by. So I feel like an outlier in that environment, but at the same time, it also feels great because there are a few who seem to be slowly also making a shift. And I kind of hope that I've been a part of the catalyst for that, but yeah, um, yeah, it's hard to say, but yeah, for, for me, that's my experience with day to day. Well, I like that adolescent uh, masculinity almost. It's like, it's like they're still going through puberty almost, you know? Sure. Like it's, yeah. 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 So that makes total sense, right? I'm not around that energy as much as probably you are. Yeah. And so I yeah. think having compassion for this, like an understanding that underneath that is a lot of unprocessed emotion or just a fear of insecurity of what would happen if you weren't that performative male, what would happen if you were vulnerable and there's a fear of being seen. So having that compassion um, in that lens and what, what it, I think it all, this all comes back to just doing the work on yourself, right? Not needing to change. You're not needing, like, you don't need to feel bad because you're not like saying something or whatever that case might be. Obviously the, 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 it could vary, but as you mentioned, like, it's just by you doing the work on yourself, naturally you'll have that impact on those who are ready. And Neil Donald Walsh says, we were all led to the truth in which we are ready to find I think it's something like that. And so everyone has their own time. And the only thing that we can focus on is our work and doing our best and living 
purposefully, even within your trade. I think it's a hundred percent. I think you're doing it and think just owning that you're doing it and understanding that people are going to start taking notice. People that you didn't know, people that are searching, people that have hit a low point or people that maybe five years on the road, they might hit a point and they're like, oh my gosh, Scott, you know, he was always kind of weird. I thought when we were working together, he didn't seem like but now I get it. And oh my God, I need to reach out to him because I feel very, like I need very weird. Very weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so like you're understanding that by, you know, we're planting seeds every day and it's not our job to convert everyone. It's just like, yeah, it comes, it is mass. And again, I'm not the pro, I'm not a pro in masculinity work by any means. Um, but I think it also just comes back to, to being the best human being uh, that we can be. That's awesome. That's, uh, that's, yeah, I like that perspective. That definitely gives me something to think about too, when it comes to my daily sort of reality. That's a, that's a, a nice way to sort of think about it. Yeah. All right. So kind of, and we have a tendency to wrap up all of our interviews this way, but I would like to know specifically, um, in regards to your feelings on masculinity, if you could go back in the time machine and talk to younger Lou and say, this is what I've learned about what it means to be a man, or this is what I've learned about what it means to have a purposeful life, or this is what I've learned about just life in general, what would you say to him? I think there's just part of me that's wanting to to tell that child self that that they are loved and they don't need to find the love from anything outside themselves. I think that's step one. And in embracing that, um, the path will take care of itself. I don't, I don't think there's something I would tell them to do differently or to try and be more expressive or vulnerable of just coming to the place of self acceptance and self love at an earlier age. And it's like the domino effect, right? It's like, we don't have to knock down all the dominoes or know how to knock down all the dominoes. We just knock down that first domino and the rest of the, the rest of it will just start to knock itself down. Lou, dude, like it's always such a a real pleasure speaking to you. You are such a a really encouraging and and thoughtful and and inspiring guy. Um, And I think the, the shit that you shared with us today is, is going to be hugely inspiring for our audience. So thank you so much for that. Um, for we have on, reached man. the, uh, the blatant self-promotion portion of our, uh, of the podcast. So, uh, why don't you let, let people know what you got going on in your life right now, where they can find you online. Yeah, I would say, um, you can find me on my website, louredbin.com, uh, or Instagram, um, just search my name and you can find it. But, I would really love to point people to the app Insight Timer. Find me on there. I have over a hundred free meditations. And then I have three courses on there around a lot of the topics that we talked about. I have a course on not caring what other people think. I have a course on learning to do work you love. And then I have a new course that just came out on developing confidence and trust and and self-belief. And so um, depending on what you need, um, you do have to pay for a subscription. You can do like a week free or try the first day free, but I, I would really encourage people to go on that app and check out one of those courses. Um, because I think that I put all, a lot of my energy into those, into those. And, and a lot of the things we talked about and meditations around them are discussed in it. I think people really, really get a lot out of it. 
Awesome, dude. We will definitely link to those in the the show notes as well. And yeah, I I absolutely recommend uh, checking Lou out on on Inside Timer. I've listened to some of his meditations on there, and they've definitely helped me out personally. So um, now I'll have this this podcast episode to, to fall back on whenever I need it. Um, Scott, what about yourself? What's what's going on with you? Where can people find you online? People can find me pretty much everywhere at WFLBC. And um, I've got my big uh, 2020 wrap-up video coming out on YouTube probably later today or maybe tomorrow, depending on if I figure out my thumbnail. It's always the biggest struggle <laughs> with YouTube, you know? <laughs> uh, I feel that struggle. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's been a it's been a wild year and I just kind of went back month by month and and looked at some of the projects I did and a lot of the stuff that got canceled and and uh yeah, it was uh, it was a weird video to make looking back month by month over this roller coaster of a year. So, uh it's a long one, so buckle in. Cool. And uh, yeah, as always, you can find me on Instagram at uh, van underscore sober. Uh, I will have no year in review stuff coming up because <laughs> I would rather forget this entire year happened. <laughs> but uh, Lou, thank you so much again for taking the time to join us again, man. Uh, and wishing you all all the best and all the success in, in 2021. Thanks, guys. You too. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Lou. All right. Uh, thanks for joining us for episode five of Brobriety, Sobriety, Mental Health and Wellness for men, women and the men and women who love them. Uh, we will see you next year. Dad joke. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for tuning in. See you guys. Sobriety is a podcast about sobriety, mental health and wellness for men. It is produced by Van Sober and hosted by Scott Graham and Derek Bolton. Please note, nothing in this podcast is a substitute for treatment of any kind. And if you or someone you love is struggling with addiction or mental health issues, please reach out to the organizations linked in our show notes.